Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the book of Genesis. So please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We've entitled the series, Beginnings. And this morning's message is entitled, The Dominion Mandate. The Dominion Mandate. Every one of us has something inside of us that wants to complete whatever project it is we're working on, and to be successful in that. We all have a desire to do something and do it right, and then sit back with a sense of accomplishment and satisfaction. For some of you, it's restoring that car that your father gave you. For others of you, it's a home fixer-up. We have plenty of those going right now at the Pino household. Or perhaps it's executing a plan to improve your business or creating a lesson plan that will produce good test results for your students. Or maybe it's just getting your finances in order, as Corey just mentioned with the financial peace course. For most of us, it's just, it's simply working hard at what you do and seeing results. Now, one small area for me in my life is the lawn. I take care of my lawn and my neighbor's lawn. She's a widow that lives right next to us. And I I take tremendous pleasure in mowing our lawns and edging them just right and and, and grooming all of the trees. We have two beautiful Malayan uh, uh, coconut trees, and I love grabbing those things and cutting them and pouring out the coconut water. And I just just love that. I don't know what it is. I I think my my father and my grandfather, they're a bunch of wajitos from Cienfuegos. You know, they, they work the soil. I ended up growing up in Miami. But there's something about that that when I'm done, I just sit back and I look at it and I say, man, that's nice. You know, Desi and I will be leaving that day. Usually I do it on, on Monday, my day off, and I'll say, baby, doesn't the lawn look great? You know, just fishing for a little comment. But there's this sense of satisfaction. It's almost heavenly. As a matter of fact, it, it is actually a small picture of what I and all of us were created to be and enjoy as image bearers of God. Why do we all have this desire to do something well, to succeed? It is because God placed it there in us and what the Bible calls the dominion mandate. So let's read it. Are you there? Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said... Let me remind you the context. Corey preached this verse briefly last week. We are in day six of creation. This is the day that God makes land animals and humans. And because humans are the crown of his creation, the narrative here slows way down. Genesis one twenty six. Then God said, Let us make man... That word is Adam, mankind, it's the generic. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every living, creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man In his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, 
Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And every, to you, every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps in the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Church, God created us in his image to represent him on earth. As a matter of fact, the summary of this text on the screen is this. God created us in his image to exercise dominion over his creation. God created us in his image to exercise dominion over his creation. Let's look at the first part of this summary statement in point one. And we'll take up the second part in point two. Point one, God created us in his image. The theological term there is imago Dei. Imago Dei. We are created in the image of God. Look at verses 26 and 27 again. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The triune God in the heavenly council creates mankind, creates mankind in his image after his likeness. Do you see those words image and likeness? The word image is found three times in these first two verses. The word likeness is found once. That word for image is the Hebrew word tselem, very important word. And the word for likeness is the Hebrew word demut, We translate them image and likeness. These words speak of how distinct mankind is from the animals. As a matter of fact, you see in verse 25 that the animals are created after their kinds, but man is created in the image of God. Do you see that distinction? Very important. It's a distinction that is often lost in today's world. We are created in the image of God, after his likeness. Friends, this is the basis for the blessing that we have in Christ. The fact that we're created in the image of God. But, what does that mean now? What does that mean that I'm created in God's image? Theologians have discussed this. It's not as clear as you might think throughout scripture. This word image, that Hebrew word tselem, is really only used three times in the book of Genesis. Here in chapter 5 and again in chapter 9. What does that mean to be in the likeness of God? But I think if you take the Bible as a whole, I think it means three things. You ready? This is what distinguishes us. Number one, we are moral creatures. We are moral. Number two, we are intellectual. 
And number three, we are relational. This is how we image God. Let me be very clear. God and man are different. God is wholly other. But God in his grace chose to create us in his image so that there are some likenesses. There are some things there that are alike. Now, he's fully God. There are things we can never be like God in. But there are some things we are. And here's one of them. We're moral creatures. We have a sense of right and wrong. Human beings have a conscience. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. You are born with a conscience because you are made in the image of God. You are born with a sense of right and wrong. Now, you may push it down. You may sear it or burn it out of existence or try to. You may try to medicate it away, drink it away. But you are born with a conscience. We as humans have a sense of right and wrong. What this means is that we were made in relation to God. We are accountable to God. And we image him beautifully when we follow that conscience informed by scripture and we do the things he commands. And we fail to image him when sin moves us from our wicked hearts to violate our conscience and to do what we know is wrong. This is the story of mankind. A guilty conscience is something that mankind from the beginning has tried to deal with and assuage and somehow overcome. All of you sitting here right now, myself included, have things in our lives that we think about and we might be guilty about places where we've disappointed others, places where we've done things that are horribly wrong and we're wondering how can we make up for it. Whole religions are driven by this. This is what Christ came to deal with. The blood of Christ deals with a guilty, broken conscience. And only the blood of Christ. No amount of good works that you can do or I can do, no amount of money that we can pay can overcome a guilty conscience, but the blood of Jesus does. Praise God. Praise God. But we're not only moral creatures, we're intellectual creatures. Listen, we are born with reason. We, we are, although many of us eject that early on. We are born to think logically. We are born to think abstractly. We are born to be creative, to create things. This is, this is what differ, difference man from the animals. We're born to create wonderful new technologies, to come up with plays like we did for Easter, this perspectives play, and then put it together and present it to all of us. We have an intellect. We, we have this intricate language that we develop. These languages that we speak are amazing. Amazing. That's all image of God stuff. When I was learning German as part of my assignment as an officer in the army, it was amazing to me. I love languages. I have an ability for languages. I'm trying to learn Portuguese. As if you were here at the beginning of the, the, the sermon, uh, the session, I was trying to speak in Portuguese. I, I want to learn Portuguese. I love that. That's part, that's image of God stuff. It's image of God stuff. Whatever it is that you're moved by, you might be good with your hands. You're technically good at creating things. You love to build stuff. Maybe go in your garage and build some furniture for your kids or your grandkids. I don't know. Work on the car. You like really nice cars that are well-engineered. That's image of God stuff. That's how God made us. We're complex, intellectual. But finally, we're relational. We're relational. God made us to have relationship with him. God made us. Humans have a particular ability and desire and and, and capacity to have relationships with one another. Relationships that are loyal. That are are servant. 
marriage, which is the very covenant relationship that pictures Christ and the church, parents with their children, friends. We're relational because we're made in the image of God and we're made to have a relationship with God. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. We're moral, we're intellectual, we're relational. We bear God's image and for that reason, church, mankind has great dignity. Great dignity. This is why the Bible, by way of application here, what does it mean, so what, we're made in the image of God? Well, here's the so what. The Bible, because we are made in the image of God, takes murder, the taking of life, very, very seriously. Look at Genesis 9, 6. This is that one of those times when the word tselem is used in the Hebrew that Moses originally penned this scripture with back in 1400 BC. Tselem is used here. Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own tselem, image. This is why every civilized nation has tough laws to punish murder. This is why we should cry out on the behalf of the innocent blood that is shed through abortion every day in this country. This is why we should treat all people of every race with respect and work to right the wrongs and guard the rights of others. This is why we protect the helpless. This is why we care for the elderly, for the disabled, for the unborn, for those that are weak because they're made in the image of God. You see, when a people deny man's status as an image bearer of God, then they will soon depreciate human life. And ultimately, they'll lose the meaning of life. And this is where we're headed as a culture today. Because there's been a rejection of the biblical truth that we're made in the image of God, we've depreciated human life. We've lost the meaning of life. You may be experiencing the bad of that right now. What is life? Is there any meaning to life? Yes, because we're made in the image of God. We should treat all men and women with dignity as image bearers of God, no matter how marred that image may have become. This is the tough one. Because when you bump up against an image bearer of God that is unrecognizable because that image has been so marred by sin and they are so disgusting or they are so violent or they are so vile or so selfish, it is hard to treat them with respect, isn't it? But here's where the gospel comes in. Because this is the good news. Jesus came to restore the horribly marred image of God in you and in all of mankind. This is why Jesus came. To restore you to the image of God. And this is why we can then treat others with respect. Because we trust in Christ. How did Jesus do this? If you're a guest for the very first time, here's the gospel. Jesus did this by being the perfect God-man, the perfect man, the perfect image of God. He never sinned. The only one. He's the second Adam. First Adam blew it. Second Adam, last Adam got it right. But then he went on the cross. Then he took the penalty for you and me. He had his image horribly marred. Beaten beyond recognition. His beard pulled out. His back flayed wide open. 
His image was broken and marred to take the broken, marred image of you, that you and I have. And then on the cross, when he said it is finished, he took the wrath of God that we deserve and he gave us his righteousness. Talk about a makeover. This is the makeover of all makeovers. Instantly, we have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of what he did on the cross. And then when he rose from the dead, he assured our forgiveness, no matter what, by the blood of Jesus. He fulfilled that mandate that we're talking about. He ascended into heaven. And one day he promises to come back. And for every person who's repented and believed, he will take your life. And he will make it perfect because you'll see him as he is. And you will rule and reign underneath him on the new heavens and new earth. The dominion mandate fulfilled in Christ. And if you've never repented and believed, oh dear friend, do that this morning. But if you have repented and believed, and you're looking at me right now and you're saying, okay Al, I got it. I'm, I'm in, made in the image of God, Imago Dei. But when I look at my mirror, what looks back at me it is a pretty marred image. I know what I'm like. I know who I am. I am not proud of it. There are times when I'm actually ashamed of it. And I'm here to tell you that Christ came to restore you. He took your shame on the cross. Thank you, Corey, for preaching that on Good Friday. So that there's no more shame to the believer. Now there's hope. Yes, there's conviction. Yes, you need to change in some areas. But you, my friend, are the righteousness of God in Christ. And the whole Christian life is, I had that righteousness, and now my whole Christian life, I am walking out, being conformed into the image of Christ. If you want to think of it as a gym, you come in looking one way, right? You start pumping the weights, they do the time-lapse photography. (laughs) Next thing you know, you look like Sam. Buff, beautiful, and smart. But spiritually speaking, What is the purpose of the Christian life? To conform us into the image of Christ. All right, let's look at it. Let's look at Romans, written about 1,500 years after Genesis, and let's see if we can track this whole dominion mandate, this whole image of God thing. Look up on the screen. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Oh, I I hope some of you hear that. For those who are called according to his purpose. All right, Al, what is his purpose? Well, here you go, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, this is talking about God's election. Before you were ever born, he chose you. For those whom he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There it is. Christian, this is the fulfillment of the original plan. This is what Jesus came to do. Be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the Christian life. Justified by faith alone in Christ alone, by the grace of God alone, for the glory of God alone. Sanctified, being conformed into the image of God through the problems and difficulties and diseases and and traffic jams on the Palmetto and everything else that you go through. And then one day when Jesus comes back, you're going to be glorified. A body that never dies. A body made perfect. Because Jesus rose from the dead. What Corey talked about during the offering. By faith I see that. Even if in the mirror I see something different. By faith. That's that glorified peace. Jesus promises to conform us to his image by the power of his spirit. So that we might represent God as his image bearers on earth. Point two. As his image bearers. 
What are we called to do? Well, that's verse 28. God called us to exercise dominion over his creation. Let's read it. Verse 28, Genesis 1. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Remember Corey's message last week? God formed the world, days one, two, and three. God filled the world, days four, five, six. The world he formed and fashioned for us, he filled, he filled it with all that we need to live and survive. And now on day six, he's going to have man as his representative who will represent him, have dominion over the earth. And there's everything that we need is there. There's plants. You'll see it the rest of this text. There's plants. There's animals to eat. There's everything. It's all there. Our call is to exercise dominion, to exercise under God's rule, his gracious ways on earth. Now let's trace this dominion mandate, shall we? Al, where do we find this in scripture? Well, King David, writing probably 500 years later, wrote Psalm 8. Let's look at it. Let's look at what King David writes in Psalm 8, and we need to ask ourselves, why did David write this some 500 years later? He had read Moses' first book. He had read Genesis 1. He was the king of Israel. He was a type of Christ. Listen to what he says on the screen. Psalm 8, 3 through 8. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Verse 5. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Verse 7. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. I just imagine David... There in Jerusalem, as he steps outside of his palace at night, there's no city lights. As Corey mentioned last week, he would look into the heavens and he would see these stars. And he would say, God, why have you even thought about us? We're so tiny. Even as the king of Israel, he realized how small he was. You and I can think that out, how small we are. But then he remembers, no, no, but Genesis 1 informs my mind and I understand who I am as a human being, that even though I'm small, God has made me in his image. There is my purpose. To have dominion over the heavens, or over the earth that God created to represent God on earth earth he understood this from genesis 1 28 but we as fallen mankind have failed in this and no one knew that better than david do you know the history of david an adulterer a murderer and yet he's still alive and yet he's still king And he's still writing this because David is pointing to a place that we all need to be looking right now. And that's in the one man who fulfilled this dominion mandate because we're fallen. Our culture is fallen. We have abdicated this dominion mandate. I was watching some of these Earth Day celebrations with one scientist, a guy named Bill Nye. And he even said, you know what? There's too many people on earth. We need to tax people if they have more than one child. That flies right in the face of Genesis 1, 28. What does it say there? 
Be fruitful and multiply. Abortion. Listen, abortion is against God. Abortion is an attack on God's dominion mandate. Abortion is an attack on the sixth day of creation. Abortion is saying, God, you're wrong. You might have created this, but you created it wrongly. No, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen here. There's too many people, and I'm only going to have a child if I want a child. So I'm going to kill them. Jesus came to bring life. The devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. We're fallen. Do we have hope? Listen, there are nations right now, and this might surprise you, the nation of China. What do you think about when you think about China? Over a billion people. Do you know that China is about to hit a serious economic crisis? You want to know why? Because of their one-child policy, they don't have enough people to fuel their economy. That's right. How is that, Al? Well, here's the deal. Just like in America today, the baby boomers, of whom I am part are kind of sweating it right now when it comes to Social Security because people chose not to have very many children. So there aren't enough of you youngins, you millennials, you you Generation Xers, whatever you call yourselves. I could care less what you call yourself. There's not enough of you (laughs) to fund us in our old age, Richard. Not that you're old. China. Do you know that in Spain they are paying people to have babies? Do you know that when I lived in Germany they had hundreds and hundreds of guest workers, primarily from Turkey. You know why? Because the Germans didn't want to have babies. So they needed workers. Every society, God is right. Multiply, fill the earth. You don't have enough people. You have to bring them in from another country. Today, 25, 30 years later, we see the results of that. Man in his wisdom saying, ha ha, God, I know better. And, and they don't, we don't. Whole economies are starting to go down. Japan, horrible situation there. Horrible. I could go on and on. Because we said no to God's way. So where, where do we go, Al? Is there hope, Al? Oh, yes, there is hope, my friends. And the psalmist, King David, who knew who he was, who knew that the, the image of God in him was marred by murder and adultery, who knew that he was a flawed man, he wrote that. He wrote that and he looked to, he pointed to prophetically by faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit who inspired him to the man. The perfect image bearer, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews 2, we see the truth that it is Jesus who fulfills the dominion mandate. Look on the screen with me. Hebrews 2, 5 through 9. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking, It has been testified somewhere. And now the author of Hebrews is going to quote Psalm 8. Why didn't he just say Psalm 8? I don't know, but it encourages me when I forget where there's a text, you know. Somewhere it says, well, I'll tell you where it says it. It says it in Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? Verse 7 of Hebrews 2. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Yes, we were crowned with glory and honor in the in, in the creation, but we lost it in the fall. Now, how are we going to get it? Thousands of years later, we're still asking the question, how's that going to happen? Here's the answer. Verse 8, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. No joke. I can't even get the weeds in my front lawn to come into subjection underneath me. I squirt those bad boys, man, and they're like laughing at me. Much less my own heart. I can't get anything in subjection. 
That's half the anger and frustration and yelling and screaming that we all experience every day right here. We're frustrated. We know there's something wrong. It's all out of control. What's happening? What's happening with North Korea? What's happening with Iran? What's happening with Iraq? What's going on with our country? Why is there so much unrest? Why are people rioting? Why is there such displeasure? Why can't we get anything done? You think that's new with us? That's been the experience of every human being since the beginning of time after the fall. But here is the answer. Verse 9 of Hebrews 2. But we see him, 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 who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus was crowned with glory and honor by being dishonored. And by the unglorious death that he willingly endured on the cross as naked and, and mocked before glory comes suffering. But then in the glorious resurrection from the dead, defeated Satan, sin, and death. And that defeat is being worked out through history in our lives right now. And one day it will be consummated when he returns and no more tears and no more death. And my mom will rise from the dead from that cemetery that's over on West Dixie in North Miami Beach. And your loved one who's dead will rise from the dead if they're in Christ. And Jesus' glory will be seen and we will see him as he is. We'll be changed to be like him. That is good news. Yeah, amen. The dominion we lost in the garden, Jesus recovered on the cross and in the resurrection and in his ascension. That's called the gospel, friends. It's called the gospel. One day we will rule and reign with Christ. All right, Al. So how does that play out in my life when I walk out of this auditorium today? Well, here's how it plays out. Jesus enables us to worship God as we were originally created to do. He enables us to represent God on earth as we were originally created to do. As you exit these doors, you are going out into the world God created as his image bearers to give him glory and praise. Come praise and glorify is one of the songs we sang. That's our call, church. Mankind has been called to represent God and exercise his dominion on earth. We were horribly flawed by the sin that we committed willingly, and now Christ came to restore that. Now, as we go out into that world, you you do understand this, church, that you basically have 120 hours of waking time in your day. Average. Only about 10 of those, even for the most committed believer, is spent at church, probably with church people talking about the gospel and church things. Only 10. So, and they're very important hours. They're hours like this one right now where you're being equipped. But, but God's command is go be fruitful, multiply. Be fruitful in your business. Be fruitful in your marriages. Be fruitful in, in your ministries. Be fruitful in your work. And multiply and exercise my dominion which the original idea there was even to to wrestle against evil in anticipation of the fall and to exercise God's authority over the wicked one whom Jesus defeated on the cross. But in those 110 hours that we work and live and play and hang out with our neighbors, go to the gym and go to the library, go to Starbucks, have a meal, it's in those 110 that we exercise that dominion that Jesus fulfilled on the cross, the resurrection and the ascension. 
So we don't do it to try to make it happen. Jesus made it happen, and then he equips us. He gives us a new heart and a new creation, and he begins to form us into his image so that we might represent God and worship him and call others to come praise and glorify the risen king. This is the call. So whatever work you will do this afternoon, do it by faith in Christ for God's glory, whether it's preparing a meal, talking with your friends, caring for your children or sharing the gospel with others. Tomorrow morning when you hit the alarm clock and roll out of bed, do so with this thought in your mind, today I get to image God and steward this little section of his creation he has called me to by faith in Christ. This affects how you brush your teeth, how you put on your makeup, how you drive to work, how you repair those locks how you create that new product, how you manage that sales force, how you inspect that home, how you teach that lesson plan, how you conduct that meeting, how you balance those budgets, how you plan that marketing strategy. Yes, and how you mow that lawn or tuck those kids into bed tomorrow night. What's the appeal? God has created us to do a project or to build something and when we're done, to sit back and say like God did at the end of day six, it is very good. We rarely get that chance. All too often, when we're done, we sit back and we say, hmm, that's not very good. Actually, that's kind of bad. And even very bad. And we can allow that to make us want to quit or maybe never start or pull back. And that's when we need to look to Jesus and say, no, Lord, you fulfilled it. When you cried on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. And I can live in the good of that while I learn from my mistakes on this earth and trust one day in the perfection that is to come. We of all people have hope and joy. We get back in the game. We work hard relying on Christ's finished work, but doing the best job we can today. So what's your heart saying this morning? What's it saying as you inventory the landscape of your life? of your projects, of your relationships, of your career, of your studies, of your home. Whatever your reality may be, dear church member, may the Redeemer speak his hope into your heart to get back into the game, to start over, to rebuild. Why? Knowing that Christ has fulfilled the dominion mandate. While we're on this earth, we may never complete a project perfectly, probably won't. But one day, The perfect one will share his perfect glory with us and we will be overseeing flawless projects forever. Amen. May your kingdom come, Lord. This is our cry. May your will be done, Lord, in our lives, in our communities, in our schools, in our workplaces, and on this earth as we represent you faithfully. Let us pray. Worship team, would you please come up? Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies. Thank you, Lord, that there is a place where we all go when we're frustrated. For some of us, we hide and and just try to break away from reality through the binge watching. Perhaps we try to medicate that part of our being that is so marred and ugly, spiritually speaking. That place where we know we're disappointing others and disobeying you. Or there's a place we go where reality just gets too much. We just say, I quit. I quit. We may not quit, actually, but our hearts have quit. Maybe it's on a marriage. Maybe it's on a relationship. Maybe it's on a child. Maybe it's on ourselves. Maybe it's on a project. Maybe it's on a career. 
Lord Jesus, we just want to say, please forgive us for unbelief if we're believers. And we just want to say, Lord, come and, and, and recreate that part. Make it look like you, Jesus. For your name's sake. Because you won the victory. Because it's your kingdom. It is your name. It is your covenant. You are faithful. So we pray it in Jesus' name for your name's sake, for your loving kindness, Lord. Because we know that you are loving, kind, and merciful. Build, rebuild, strengthen your people to represent you on this earth, Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and sing, come praise and glorify. This song is really a call. It's a corporate call to fulfill what God has given the grace for us to do in Christ Jesus. Let us sing.